Andrew Sams, Hong Kong. Tell me, what did you do age 18 to 30? Aged 18 to 30, well, I was 18 in my last year of high school. So that was just school, I finished school. I had saved up money working at a supermarket. And my, the first thing I wanted to do was to go and stay with my sister who lived in Germany. So that was my first big kind of entry to the world at that age. I flew to Germany on my own. I mean, 18, actually, you're an adult, so not a big deal. But uh, yeah, that was a great trip. So I went to Germany, stayed with her. She lived in a place called Koblenz and she was dancing with a ballet company there. And I hung out there and traveled to Berlin on, on my own and Paris. And but, but I had a really good trip, came back and started uh, having to look for a job which at the time was quite difficult actually. It was 1983 and there was a bit of a recession going on. So I was on, um, I was on unemployment benefits for a month, which I'm really ashamed of when I look back now because I probably could have got out and gone out and got some sort of work and I just took the lazy option. But that was only a month. Then I had like a work placement thing with the government, which was sort of like the dole at working in the town planning department, which is unbelievably yeah. boring. Yeah. I was there for a month getting paid Quite good money for my age to pin a pink form to a yellow form all day hmm. but it was good because it, it was so boring it incentivized me to do something else but i'd already been applying for journalism jobs um but i dropped the ball in my last year of high school and did really badly just flunked out awful if i could go back and slap myself across the my younger self across the face and give myself a good talking to i would so do you remember that, why that was was this something I, i've no idea i've no idea but i just you know i can't blame anybody else but I, I would say i wish my dad had slapped me in the face or something i just drifted i just drifted off i don't know why it just happened it wasn't sport girls music oh ganja <laughs> no no i don't know what it was but i didn't get enough grades to get into university so that option was cut off having said that i could have stayed I could have gone back to Polytechnic and done done it again and got a better grade and got into uni. But I just wanted to get out and work. And, and I think back then there still was that overriding um, feeling amongst my generation that if you weren't at university, there was a really strong feeling, I've got to go out and work and make money. Like no sponging off the parents. It's like, I've got to get a job, which, mm. which um, I started applying feverishly for, you know, Things were the same back then as they are now in that a lot of people apply for a small number of jobs and you have to just cast a wide net with job applications, which back then were all done on a typewriter, of course. And, um, and send them out letters by post. And send, and send them all out by post. And I only got one reply, and that was from News Limited, Rupert Murdoch's newspapers. Uh, and the woman there said, got your application, uh, thank you but your school grades aren't really good enough to, to get in here. But I just started badgering her for, for a few weeks to be able to come in and do the exam. And she finally gave in and said, okay, you can come and do the exam. So on my intake, there was about 2000 people applying for about 10 jobs. That's what we were told later. Wow. And we had to go in there for an exam, which was general knowledge, current events, that sort of thing. And that was, I just, that was my, that I was so at home with that. So I got in there and did that exam and I aced it. It was, so I got I got, uh, I, I got on the next short list because do, I did Do you remember revising for that or was that just from years? No, that was just from, that was just from years of in reading the encyclopedia as a kid and reading my father's newspaper when he came home with it uh, and just building up a lot of general knowledge. Yeah. Uh -huh. 
So I aced that, but I was still on a short list. And then I badgered the guy who ran the uh, little office where all the, uh, all the sort of office assistants worked, which was the job we were going for. I called him nonstop for about a month just nonstop, and he just got so sick of me calling that he, he said, oh, for God's sake, come in, um, so you can start tomorrow. So so that was a year of being an office assistant uh, before you got a cadetship, that they so used to just, call it. Just to be clear, so how long before, by the time this guy gave in and said, come in, roughly how long was that from when you'd actually finished school? Oh, probably, I would have finished school at the beginning of December. I think I can't remember. So I was, I was out of school and kind of, uh, you know, not in full employment for about four months. That's fairly quick. So you had your European trip, you had your working yeah. town with town planning, and then, yep, and then went yep. through all this and then, and then a couple of months of like exams and, and pestering these people. Yeah. So so this was office assistant job, which sounds like an internship, but actually you, you work your ass off and you, you get paid. So I was getting a salary, which was great. Mm. You know, I was able to save and buy a car and start driving to work and, and that sort of thing. But it was, it was good as... Uh, but living, inter- living at home. Yes, I was yeah. living at home then, yeah. yes. Yeah. And back then, that sort of internship, which was paid, was so much better than what they are now because it was deliberate, organised training of all the, all the interns. So you got to know the entire building, how everything worked, who everyone was, and you did different. So uh, one of my jobs was uh, running downstairs four times a day and getting the Daily Mirror straight off the printing press, putting it on a trolley, running it upstairs, taking a bundle under my arm and running around the building and delivering it to all these key people. Right. Um, and that would take three or four runs to empty that. And you do, and I was so fit. I've never been as fit in my entire life. And I used to get covered in, in newspaper ink all down my shirt and pants. My mother used to go crazy for having to yeah. wash, wash everything every day. Because uh, newspapers in those days, they re- the ink they used really, I remember. Oh, ink, yeah, ink, yeah. Really, and the your, smell, I still remember the smell. Your hands be black. Of, of, the ink, I still remember it. Yeah, but that was great getting getting to know the building and I, I you drop paper to the accounts department. The scariest one was going into the editor's office and putting a paper on his desk, and then just getting out of there as quickly as possible. And I remember going in there and putting a paper on his desk once, and he was talking to somebody, and he said, um, and, and I put it on his desk, and I went to get out the door, and he said, "You stop!" And I thought, "Oh God!" <laughs> and he looked at the paper. And the front and the back, and he realised that the the that they had put the same massive photograph on the front page as the back page. It was the rugby league grand final. I think it was the same photograph. And he said, "Stay there." And he and he picked up the phone to the guy running the print press downstairs, who was the brother of Rupert's right hand man. And he picked up the phone. And he just said, he just screamed out, "John, what are you trying to do to me?" What are you trying to do to me? <laughs> Screaming at him. And he said, look at the paper. Bam. Slammed down the phone. And then he said, okay, you can go. Oh, God. <laughs> so it was that sort of thing all the time. The place was full of characters. Yeah. You, you got screamed at. You got yelled at. That was back in the days when you often, I'm not saying it's a good thing, but you often learnt by just getting screamed at. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, you know, people aren't allowed to do that now. So... Uh, I worked there. I worked in the art department. But you felt where... like you were in a safe place, did you? <laughs> yeah, there was no safe places in that building. Yeah, no happy Sorry. places either. Um, uh, so I also worked in the art department, where all the photographs that went in the paper that were needed to be touched up, it was never, it wasn't done digitally. Obviously, back then, it was all done with paintbrushes and airbrushes, and and 
you know, having arrows and names stuck with glue on the yeah. photograph. Uh, and so then I got a cadetship. I, I don't want to dwell too much on that. So I, I, I got a, a cadetship, which involved a series of interviews and writing stories. Hang on, this was surely your first year as copy boy. Yeah. Wasn't that, the intention was that if you got through that, you would become a cadet. Yes, exactly. So it, was, it, so, was a, it was a bit of a precursor for the... Yes, yeah, that's the thing. So there was no guarantee that you'd get an, a cadetship or an apprenticeship, that they yeah. call it now. No, yeah. no guarantee at all, and some people didn't make it. Uh, right. So during that year, you had to kind of prove yourself and show you were enthusiastic and, and write, uh, try and find your own stories and try and get them published in the paper, which, wow. which I did. And then you got selected for interviews and you get interviewed by all the editors, which was pretty terrifying. Uh, and then you got a cadetship and that was three years of training. And they would, again, it was highly organized training. Uh, and back then they rarely took any university graduates because mm -hmm. they felt that that sort of work, you just didn't need a uni degree. And actually I still believe that to this day, but now of course everyone's at uni, so you have to have a degree. But back then they would train they would train you up by, by uh, allocating time where you worked on all of the four newspapers in the building and all of the different rounds on the newspaper. So I did uh, police reporting, entertainment, finance, mm. uh, general news, education, sport. Uh, we did everything. So, so that, you'd be moved around to a Yeah, difference. you'd constantly be moved around. So by the time you finished, you had to have done um, basically everything in the building. Right. Uh, and each and, time you got moved, presumably they say, okay, Andrew, here's, you're working with Bob here, who would be someone who would be mentoring you to some extent or guiding you or someone you could actually say, yeah. is, is this okay or not okay? Oh, of course. No, yeah. no, no. That's, that's all part of it. It's just incredible. Anyway, and you also have to do shorthand. So uh, you had to, to get your cadetship, you had to uh, be able to write 120 words a minute in Pittman's New Era shorthand. So would you would they would you be studying then in the in the Oh yeah, so they had separate allocated time right. for the cadets every single day in the shorthand room with the shorthand teacher. Oh wow. Um and you'd you would do constantly do tests and, and write. In fact to this day, uh my wife's shorthand was much better than mine. But to this day there's a lot of words that when I hear it, I see it written in shorthand. At the age of fifty five, it's imprinted on my brain that much. Wow. But it's such a, it was such a wonderful skill. And I don't, I don't even know if anybody does it now. No, I don't think so. But the, the, I remember one of our shorthand teachers was this lovely woman who uh, could write 250 words a minute and it looked like a textbook. Wow. It was just amazing. Wow. So, so that was part of it as well. But just getting out, it was a good way to get out in the world. I mean, you know, you saw dead bodies. You saw horrendous car crashes. You got involved in politics. You interviewed, um, you know, top politicians and yeah. media stars and sports stars and that sort of thing. So it was really, you really felt that you were you uh, almost privileged in the people that you met. Were you you remember being you know were you excited? You every you were living at home, so you're getting up in the morning. Yeah, and yeah. mum making breakfast <clears throat> for you, and you're heading off to work, and you're like, yeah, this you. I mean, was this like, oh, I made the right choice? You think? Uh, yeah, it was exciting. And because it wasn't university and no one else there went to university either, it was like, it was like university where all the young people that we worked with all had the same drive and dream of, right. of getting into journalism and we're all very young and together. So it was, it, we, so we actually got that university experience right. and formed very close 
bond with a you know a, a good big group of, of friends that that we're still friends with today. And this is where you met Susan. Yes, it's where time. I met. That's yeah. where I met my wife as well. Yeah. Yeah. So. Right. Yeah. So this is. So I'm just saying. So so 18, first year, uh, as copy boy, and then three years of of the cadetship. So that takes you to the end of. So the end of that would take you to 22. Yeah. Right? So I, so I was nearly. I was nearly 19 when I uh, got the job as a, well, so I guess I was about six months off 19 yeah. when I got the job as a, a copy boy uh, and then the cadetship. So I should have done three years, right? but I'd always wanted to get into television. So the whole time I was there, I was thinking ahead, which is, I think, actually good advice for any young person right. working that if you, do, if you do have something like a dream or a job or a profession that you want to get into, you actually start thinking about that and planning it as soon as you get into one job. So as soon as I got, got into the newspaper, I started applying for television jobs. And right. it took it took two and a half years, but I finally got one. So oh, wow. I, I started doing it straight away. So I actually left early. Right. I left the newspaper before I finished my cadetship. But I did that because I got the the professional level and salary that I equivalent that I would have had to wait another six months or a year for. I got that straight away oh, I see. by going to television because back then the industry was it was graded. It was heavily unionized, right. and everything. So all salary levels were graded. Right. So I I got the, the the first step on the ladder for a young person. I got that uh, six months or a year before any of my peers because I moved into television. Right. And then I stayed ahead of them for quite a while. Well, I, I went to so I I'd been working in Sydney and then I. Uh, did a, a four-month stint in a steel and coal town called Newcastle, just north of Sydney, mm. which was great fun, working in a kind of a country town stroke, small city. And you moved there? Yeah, I moved there. Yeah. Lived there on my own, met some new people up there. Uh, and that's where I got a call from a TV station in Wollongong, which is south of Sydney, which is another steel and coal town, um, to come down for an interview, which I did, and I got the job. So I packed up, resi quit, resigned from work, and from Newcastle. So you don't, how yeah. long were you at Newcastle before you moved on again? I, I was in Newcastle for four months and uh, <clears throat> packed up all my stuff in my car and drove all the way down to Wollongong. Uh, that's where I got my first, uh, what they call a grading uh, salary level. And right. I was in Wollongong for a year. And that was great fun as well. Both of those towns are great beach towns, really easy places to live. Was, was there any issue? So just to be clear, because you're within, within uh, less than a 12-month period, you've moved from News Limited or News Corp to Newcastle, to a t TV company. And then four months later, you get down in Wollongong with another company. Yeah. So you've, so within three months, you've left the cadetship. <clears throat> Sorry, yes. Yeah, not three months. Within a short period of time, you've left the cadetship and you've gone to one job, then you've left them and now onto something else. Was it yeah, well, actually, it was the Newcastle <clears throat> job was the same company, but it was just a different office. Right. So it was still within the same company. But okay. then the Wollongong job, that was a different company. That was a TV company. Okay. So I was there for a, a year and that's where I learned my craft in, in TV. And again, I've sometimes looked back and thought it would have been better if I'd stayed longer, stayed a few years longer uh, to, to really kind of hone my craft because I felt when I left there, I didn't really have a full grasp on things. But you've got that choice when you're young, you know, do you have the luxury of time to stay somewhere for a long time until you feel that you've perfected what you need to know what and then you, move what on? What were you doing in Willigon? I was doing general news reporting. So, yeah, so I was, front I was, of camera. Yes. So I was, I was uh, <clears throat> yeah, in the field uh, reporting on anything that would happen in Wollongong. Um, police, actually education, because there's a big university down there. General news, 
politics, anything. Right. So, and you would always do what's called a piece to camera. So I'd write, I'd write a story and voice it, and you'd always do a little thing where you stand in front of the camera and you know speak for about ten or twenty seconds, and you plop that inside the story. So, so in, in that regard, you were always on camera. But I also did some uh, new studio presenting when the other guy was off sick or whatever. Uh, and this would go. Was this would this just be used on local TV stations, or would also go? Could this uh, syndicate it out to national? When I was there, the, some uh, very often the footage that we would get would um, get sent up to Sydney, but probably very unlikely that they would just take one of our package stories and use our. They call it a stand-up, right. uh, speaking to camera. I can't really remember to be honest, but a lot of stuff we would send up. It was just fun learning about television. But again, I started applying for jobs <coughs> up in Sydney. Uh, but I actually ended up getting TV offers, uh, not through applications, but just through word of mouth. And Because at this point, <coughs> you, you are front of camera. Exactly. So, so once you're on camera, yeah. on TV, people at other stations who need someone, they, they, just, they just look. Yeah. They just look at the TV and they think, yeah, that, you know, okay. they, they sound okay, yeah. it looks okay, whatever. Um, so let's, let's call them and they quickly, you know, they somehow find right. a, a number for you. Right. So, so how long were you in Wollongong then? I was in Wollongong for a year and then... Uh, and where was Sue at this point? Sue was in Sydney and I was so desperate to get back to Sue and be able to see her all the time that I was willing to take any job. So the first job that came up was a sports job and I, I just, I took it also because it was fantastic money and I jumped right. up another couple of grades. Right. Um, uh, yeah. So I, I kept, you know, jumping up in the pay ranks, and which how, was fantastic. So, so how, just talk, talk me through that. How did you, because this is kind of interesting from a career point of view. So the Sydney guys, the sports, this is another company. So they presumably seen you in doing something in Wollongong or hear about you. So do they, do they give you, they find you, they give you a call at work one day and say, hey, Mr. Sam, we like what you're doing. Uh, yeah, I can't remember how they contacted me. Um, but it would have been... Would have been something like that. I don't know. Or maybe they knew someone who knew me and got my home number or something. Because, yeah. of course, nobody had mobiles back then. Yeah. So, yeah, it would have been that. And I, I went up for an interview, same, and then got the job. So you'd have done... So, Wollongong, you've got a day off work. You'd be like, I'm just going to drive up to Sydney for the day, arrange to do an interview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And, of course, with television, because they can see you, you don't have to write a, you know, a clever application letter or... Even yeah. the interview is not important because they don't care because they've seen you and it's like, yeah. okay, yeah, I can see you. I, can, I know what you can do. Do you want yeah. the job or not? That's yeah. pretty much how it works. Yeah. So, so I was there for a year. And, and then so, would, so just to go through, so would you then, so let's say they'd offer you the job there on the interview, would you then go back to Wollongong and work your month's notice and tell them? And would people be angry or was it, was it fairly common oh, that I people think knew? I, no, every, everyone knew that that's, that's how it works, but they were disappointed. Yeah, I remember I told them and they said, oh, well, that's, that's such a shame. We were hoping you'd be here long term. And yeah. I felt really bad because I was good friends with one of the guys. Um, uh, and, and in a lot of ways, it would have been great if I'd stayed because I would have learned more. I would have perfected my craft a bit more. But, you know, again, with any person in any career, I guess, you've got that choice. It's like, okay, yeah. do I stay longer yeah. and, and, you know, perfect the craft more or do I make the most of my youth and move on to you know to climb up that ladder and really you know you kind of do have to climb up the ladder well when you had two, you had two i mean better money 
and oh, got a better yeah. position. And you had Sue back in Sydney. Yeah, exactly. And family back in Sydney. Yeah, so. that, that too. And also, it was just Sydney. I kind yeah. of, I didn't want to be in Wollongong forever. Yeah. I mean, who, yeah. who does? <laughs> so, so I, I, yeah, so I was up in Sydney doing sports reporting for uh, a year. Do you remember how old you were at this point when you moved I back would have to... been, that was 80, I was in Wollongong. Uh, uh, I was in 22, 23. Right. Uh, but during that year at SBS, uh, the the Asian Broadcasting Union, which is uh, a broadcast body that supplies English commentary all over the world, uh, they needed a commentator for the Seoul Olympics in 1988. And they, uh, the guy there called my boss, who he knew, basically said, yeah, we've got a guy here who's really good. We'll, we'll send him up. So I went up to the Seoul Olympics for a month and uh, that was that was my first commentary job, uh, so it was kind of a, a steep learning curve. Wow. But it was an amazing experience, obviously. In front of camera, do it covering. No, the... not on camera. It oh, was just okay. in a booth doing commentary, not, okay. not on camera. Okay, but fine. It's your, yeah, it's your, it was... your reporting on. <clears throat> yeah, and this this commentary package went all over the world. Would that be live, or would they have edited it? Uh, it would have no. It would. It, it was edited. It was a one hour package. Okay. But it was sent out live. So we would commentate it at about 11 p.m. Okay. And as we were commentating it, it was going out live. Well, it's amazing. So 22, 23, you're now, your voice is commentating on the Olympics yeah. around the world. You're four plus years out of school, out of high school. Yeah, pretty much. And you've yeah. got pe presumably people who were at high school with you who are just at this point graduating out of university. Or not even graduating. Or not even, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, or do, some of them did five-year degrees or took a gap year beforehand. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we'd, I'd already been working. Yeah, I'd been, uh, been working for, for, for four years. And anyway, I, I think what you, you, you often try and allude to is, you know, how does all this work and how does it connect and, mm. you know, are things done through recommendations? I think for all of us, a, a lot of it is, some of it is luck, although there's that old saying that it's, it's funny how the harder you work, the, the luckier you get. Yeah. Um, so, so I, so I worked there, there for a year and soon after I finished, uh, I came back after the Seoul Olympics, my friend who hired me at the TV station in Wollongong had moved to the ABC in Sydney, which is like the BBC, yeah. but much smaller, obviously. And he called me and said, Hey, we need someone over here. So oh. then I went over to the ABC from SBS and I was there for two years. Uh, and that was, uh, that was sports reporting and also presenting the sports on the primetime news bulletin nationwide on Friday, Saturday, Sunday and Monday nights. Wow. Yeah. And I did that for two years and I was still very young and very nervous. So they'll be like, <clears throat> so Andrew, over to you. We've got at the MCC <clears throat> today. And, yeah. yeah. And, and actually often on the weekend, it would be 10 minutes of news and then 15, 15 minutes of sport. I'd come on at 10 past seven often. There was so much stuff and I was doing it all on my own. And I remember it was always a panic. I remember many nights grabbing my papers and literally running downstairs and being almost out of breath by the time I went on air. And I remember one time I was so badly out of breath, the woman newsreader had to read my first story because I couldn't breathe. I was sitting <laughs> at the desk looking at her, waving my hand in front of my face. <laughs> and and bre breathing and sweating and she looked at me and and I, I was also looking at the producer through the camera saying I can't do this I was just I couldn't I literally couldn't talk so she read the first news story and then um, then I was okay for the next one 
So that was crazy. It was good training, but it was just insane. Do, and, doing it, yeah. And this whole time, I mean, this is great. So you're, you're now with the ABC, and this whole time you and Susan are boyfriend, girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. You're both living at home, respectively. <clears throat> we were living, uh, I spent some time living out. Actually, the two years I was at the ABC, I lived in a, a shared house. Uh, in Sydney. In Sydney, in a place called Mossman, for a year, which was good fun. Uh, and that obviously Sue would come over and stay often. So that was, you know, that right. was pretty easy. And then actually we, for the second year, we moved in together um, close to my work in a place called Greenwich in, in Sydney. Um, so 1990, Sue and I moved in together. That was my second year at the ABC. And that was uh, just the, the same, the usual. But it was difficult though. So you're 25? No, not even that. I was still 24, I think. And you moved in together, age 24? Yeah, yeah. I oh, actually, Sue was 23, I think. Right. Uh, yeah, but so it, it, this was a really good job and a really good opportunity. But for me, my interests weren't in sport. I only ever took a sport job just to get back to Sydney. Right. So that would have been a great career path for me. I could have stayed there literally forever and right. done that job. But with that job, because it was sport, I had to work every single weekend. And I'll tell you, it's just socially, it's a killer, yeah. personally, and if you're in a relationship. So we, I was getting toward the end of that two years and I just thought, we're gonna break up if, if I keep doing this job. Personally, I don't really like it. I was doing nothing but rugby league all winter and it's a game that I hate. And I was doing nothing but cricket all summer, which I love cricket, but it's, it was just getting tedious. So I planned to resign anyway. I thought, I'm gonna quit. I don't know what I'm gonna do, but I'm gonna quit at the end of this contract. It was a two-year contract. Right. Uh, but during that time, toward the end, after I'd already decided I was going to leave, out of the blue, I got a call at the office from the from the Australian guy who took me up to Seoul, right. to the Seoul Olympics. Who, who He was the one working for the Asian Broadcasting Union. So again, this web of people that you know. Yeah. Uh, so he was much older, about 20 years older than me. And he called me and said, uh, oh, would you consider you know moving to Hong Kong? And working up here because he was up here because he because he, he had moved from Malaysia to TVB in Hong Kong right and they needed somebody up here so he said would you consider moving up to Hong Kong and I just thought yeah right Hong Kong you know forget it and I said oh yeah so we had to catch up on the phone he said look I'll, I'll give you a call again in, in, in six weeks or something and see how you feel I said yeah all right see ya I thought you've got to be kidding and then as I was nearing the end of my contract and I didn't have another job lined up I started to get a little bit worried and I thought oh crikey and he called me again I said, look, why don't you come up? We'll fly you up, put you in a nice hotel, take you around town for a week, show you what Hong Kong's like, and and then see how you feel. So I, even then I thought, oh, you've got to be joking. But I thought, well, you know, it's they're gonna, free fly, trip. they're gonna fly me up. It's a free trip, they're putting me in a hotel, so why not? Yeah. So I did that, and you know, it was it literally was whining and dining. You know, they, they were just super nice to me, out to dinner every night, you know, little tours of Hong Kong. And by the end of the week, I just found myself signing a contract. It was like a blur. And I thought, well, may as well. And then I went back home and said to Sue, I'm moving to Hong Kong. So I was planning on coming up here just for a year on my own, then going back to Sydney, um, as everybody does. Yeah. And then uh, Sue was was out of work as well. And and she, I remember, I still remember her calling me. I never forget. I remember her calling me very clearly and saying, I'm coming to Hong Kong with you. Wow. And I said, no, you're not. No, I was only joking. No. Uh, and I said, well, that's great. So we came up here to together. So we had... Age? Uh, aged. So that was... We flew up here in February 91. So I was 20... 
25 and she was 24. Uh, so, 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 sorry, just interrupt. It's so interesting to hear how much you had done, and you're still very young. Yeah, and you're coming, you're coming mm, to Hong Kong, yeah. 25, 25. Mm. I mean, I'm thinking of our kids. I mean, who, I mean, all the baby group kids are, have, have lived life to the full. I mean, none of them are short of traveling around the world and, and having life experiences, really, for young people compared to, you know, compared to some of their contemporaries. Back in Australia or England, but actually, you guys, particularly at that time, you had done a lot. Yeah, well, and you know, a lot of work, a lot <clears> of tour. <throat> you were, you know, you were. No, absolutely. We'd had a lot of. By that time, we'd both had a lot of life experience yeah. and and like r real career highs. I mean, even at that age. Yeah. By by, to some extent, is the nature of the work that you were in, isn't it? When I'm thinking about it. So if if I was, if you had an equivalent friend or your, you know someone who had studied accounting and, and or architecture and had been working as long as you had, the chances of them having the same peaks and the same experiences would have been much oh, less. Much less. I mean, yeah. certainly in accounting, but even in architecture, you know, unless I think in my own career, if only if you were very lucky, might you work on an interesting project, but that would take three years. You have, you have stuff that was you know, short, a story... It is was. live, and so it happens, and there's a peak within days or weeks or something, and, and then you're on to the next one. Yeah, and 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 it's a total, it's a total high as well. You yeah. go from one, not a career high, but you go from one professional high to the next each day. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's quite, it's, it, yeah. I mean, was that something you think that you were, you consciously made a decision to go into that field? Was that something you you did you found it? You yeah, found I, it satisfying. Yeah, I, I, I think because of my uh, just natural hunger for knowledge uh, and, and, you know, stuff that often just becomes trivia, not, not necessarily useful. Right, but it interests but I did, you. Yeah, I did love, like I said, I, I loved reading the encyclopedia. I loved reading the newspapers. I got very interested in the media and what was going on in the world and how the world worked. And I think that's why I wanted to get into to, to journalism. Yeah. And I've also sometimes wondered if being the seventh of eight children and getting no attention and nobody taking any notice of you, I often wondered if my burning desire to get into journalism and be on TV was subconsciously to make up for being neglected and ignored right. and, and not having your voice heard in a house with 10 people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've, all, I've, I've often thought that that was maybe it because yeah. I remember it's like when you're the seventh of eight kids, honestly, nobody cares what you think. Nobody wants to listen to you. So, you know. I think you have to save that for the second analysis of <laughs> <Yeah, exactly>. podcast. <laughs> yeah. um, um, all right. So let's back. So you arrive, the two of you arrive in Hong Kong and you've got a job. Sue hasn't. Yes. Um, so we arrived in Hong Kong. Yeah. So so I, I had a job, which uh, another reason why I took the job was not with, because. This is with TVB. Yeah, with TVB. Yeah. So another reason I took the job, not not. Absolutely not because it was my only choice, but because it really did at the time for me. It played, it paid so incredibly well. Right. It really did. Right. So it was a no-brainer. I thought I didn't really want to go to Hong Kong, but I would be an idiot to say no to this. Yeah. So I took it. So it was great. So we came up here, really secure, nice accommodation, all of that. So Sue could relax and take her time looking for a, a job that that was suited to her. You had. The financial security. Yes, absolutely. Job, the job yep. was good. Yep. So she could take her time. How with TVB? Did they help you find accommodation? 
so when I arrived, they put us up in the Excelsior Hotel, mm. uh, which has now been demolished, sadly. And I've, I've since found out a lot of people I know up here were also put up in the Excelsior. Right. Um, right. So we had a couple of weeks there going around with real estate people, showing us all sorts of places all over Hong Kong. And in the end, we actually ourselves found a great little flat in Causeway Bay, literally around the corner from the hotel. And I ended up paying the bellboy a hundred bucks Hong Kong to put all our bags on a trolley and walk it around and bring it up to the flat for us. And he had the little red hat on and the little red bolero jacket and, and everything. So that's where we spent the first two years which was a good introduction to Hong Kong. So you had you were expecting to stay for a year? Did, did the yeah, contract well, again actually extended? the contract was two years, right. um, but I, it was like a lease. I, I could have got out of it right. after a year. Right. Uh, and I was really determined because for all of us, the first year here is it's pretty tough. It's a real culture shock yeah. away from home. And it's really, it rattles a lot of people. But then... Yeah, because you're, yeah. you're not ringing mum and dad every day because no, there's, there's only no, the telephone. Uh, yes. And maybe that was part of it back then. We didn't have FaceTime or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. And, and you, you, you'd, you'd rarely make a phone call because it was so expensive. Yeah. So, yes, for all of us that year, that first year was tough, but then kind of got into the groove and started meeting people and Sue was loving her job. And, you know, I started to relax more with my job and also opportunities came up with my job that would like that people I've worked with at home would never get a chance to do. And that's why I started thinking, oh, actually, this is great. Well, 90, not 91, but certainly the second year was the Barcelona Olympics in 1992. So we did two trips over there with, uh, not we, I, with, with TVB and the crew. We went right. over there and did features and filmed stuff for feature stories right. and that sort of thing. So that was great. And then I got a taste of what the job would be like. And I thought, wow, this is great. Yeah. So... And then, you know, later that year, I hosted the Olympics and uh, did the commentary with a team of people, something that guys my age working in, even at the top commercial stations in Sydney who were getting paid more than me at the time, those guys wouldn't have even had that opportunity. Right. So... 92, um, so you were 26, 27? Uh, 92, I was coming up to 27. Yeah. yeah. And Satisfied. by actually by accident, so the stuff that had made you a bit fed up of sports at ABC working the weekends etc didn't happen here that's a very good point but you didn't of course you didn't know that so it didn't perhaps that wasn't part yeah. of your career move it just it was by accident you got here and you were doing the sport but it actually it, it wasn't interrupting with your social life no, and your personal life that, as that, much. that's the thing it's funny how things it's funny like sometimes you do feel somebody or something is guiding you through your life and your career you know right? It'd get heavy and, you know, <laughs> spiritual. But I, I really, really firmly believe that. I've always believed that with my career. It's like, you know, so much stuff has happened. I just think, really? Coincidence? Yeah. yeah. So anyway, that's just me personally. Someone's got the big ledger. Yeah, there's like a, a hand guiding you. I've, I've always believed that. And, and exactly, it's like I was in Sydney and I thought, oh, geez, I can't do this anymore. So somebody said, okay, well, why don't you try this? It's same, same, but different. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. so they came over to Hong Kong. <laughs> And it was that job, yeah. but much better. Without, so, without the bad So bits. it was that job, but with a huge variety of different things yeah. and subjects that I could cover. Fantastic travel, yeah. an exotic town to live in. Um, occasionally I'd work weekends. Yes. Um, a, 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 you know, sometimes more than occasionally. Yeah. But it was, it was swings and roundabouts. Yeah. I'd always had, there'd be other weekends off. So it was all, it was very manageable yeah. um, and, and enjoyable. So, so basically you... So you had a two-year contract, which would have taken you to age, what, uh, so what did we say? I've lost track of, 
Anyway, so, whatever you were. So when the yeah, two so years came up, did it, it after that automatic just just roll on more two year contracts? And so someone in HR, TVB would have said, so Andrew, we're very happy with you. Can we offer you another contract? And you'd be like, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. It was all, it was almost automatic. And then, but then I think after about ten years, no, after about eight years, I think they ended up basically putting me on full time staff. Right, but this is. Post- I mean, I was full time staff, but instead of being contract, it was just permanent employment. Right, but this is after you were thirty. You were, I mean, those. First- yeah, it was after thirty. Yeah. So that, that that came later. So basically, those those from from arriving in Hong Kong through to age thirty, you were at TVB on various contracts doing some of the stuff. Yeah, in fact, I, I make, need to make sure I don't get ahead of myself because I realised I turned thirty in ninety five. Right. Yeah. What about, th- getting, what about getting married? Sorry, just. Oh yeah, getting married. So, so basically that here in Hong Kong. Uh, no, no. So uh, when we were living together in Sydney, I didn't realize at the time, but Sue's friends later revealed that she was having heart to hearts with them saying, when the hell is he going to ask me to marry him? I, you know, this is ridiculous. <laughs> and she, she was getting really, really pissed off. And actually, I was planning it. I was just really, I was just a bit slow. Um, <laughs> so we were together for six years before I asked her to marry me. Uh, so we got engaged. So we had a big engagement party and got engaged after we knew we were coming to Hong Kong. Right. Um, I guess when I had that clarity of knowing what we were doing. So that, that Hong Kong was a bit of a catalyst for that as well. Yeah, so I, exactly it was. Yeah. It was actually. So I proposed to Sue. Uh, we got engaged. And then we came back to Hong Kong after a year and had a very, very stressful month in Sydney where we bought a house and got married oh, wow. um, in the same month. So it was like... Ugh. Uh, a lot happened, but it was, yeah, that was great. So, yes, so we went back to Sydney. What year was got that? married. We got married in February 92. Age? Aged 20, I was 26 and she was 25. Right. Okay. Yeah, so to our kids' generation, that probably seems like, wow, that's so young. But again, it's because we'd been working for seven years already. Yeah. So we'd had a lot of life experience and working, so it, we didn't seem like, we didn't feel like we were kids. Yeah, yeah. You know, whereas maybe if we'd gone to university and started work much later, maybe we wouldn't have got married till we were thirty. It's right. just where you are in 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 your life. Um, so. So age twenty five. So after how long after getting married do you start thinking about children? Now you're living uh, the, the bit of the expat life here in Hong Kong. Yeah, well, it's funny how that happens, uh, or why at a certain age. I don't know. We just we did just start thinking about it, but it seemed like a natural thing. I don't know about everybody else but having kids by 30 to us was just a, a normal thing there was no question that we would not have kids or have kids yeah. or whatever so yeah. we yeah we just uh so when was that uh we had sienna in 95 and i was still 29 right and then we had riley in 97 and i was still tw- uh 30 31 31 yeah 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 thanks <laughs> Just to finish off, when Sienna arrived in 1995, or in fact even before, this is the point that you guys actually meet the baby group. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, which, you know, again was, was a, you know, I mean, it's an understatement to say that it was a key turning point and key part of our lives, but it really was. But you didn't know any of the people beforehand? Uh, I actually knew Stephanie through work because I'd been going over to do the Macau Grand Prix. Uh, Stephanie used to work over there. So I met Stephanie, I think, in 1991. Mm -hmm. And I think Susan may have also met Stephanie through work. 
Right. And then, so we kind of knew about her. Uh, and then, of course, we met her again in 95. Uh, yeah, so in the year that I turned 30, we suddenly met this amazing new group of friends. Um, yeah, so, so life, his life went on, oh, to, like, on yeah, to the so next the year, stage. Yes, the year I turned 30, my, our lives changed dramatically and, and we, we, you know, became intermeshed with this amazing group of people that became our best friends. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Andrew. Okay, Nick. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Andrew Sams, Hong Kong. Tell me, what did you do age 18 to 30? Aged 18 to 30. Well, I was 18 in my last year of high school. So that was just school. I finished school. I had saved up money working at a supermarket. And my, the first thing I wanted to do was to go and stay with my sister who lived in Germany. So that was my first big kind of entry to the world at that age. I flew to Germany on my own. I mean, 18, actually. You're an adult, so not a big deal. But uh, yeah, that was a great trip. So I went to Germany, stayed with her. She lived in a place called Koblenz and she was dancing with a ballet company there. And I hung out there and traveled to Berlin on, on my own and Paris and, but, but I had a really good trip, came back and started uh, having to look for a job, which at the time was quite difficult actually. It was 1983 and there was a bit of a recession going on. So I was on, um, I was on un unemployment benefits for a month which I'm really ashamed of when I look back now because I probably could have got out and gone out and got some sort of work and I just took the lazy option. But that was only a month. Then I had like a work placement thing with the government, which was sort of like the dole at working in the town planning department, which is unbelievably uh -huh. boring. Uh -huh. I was there for a month getting paid quite good money for my age to pin a pink form to a yellow form all day. Hmm. But it was good because it, it was so boring, it incentivized me to do something else. But I'd already been applying for journalism jobs, um, but I dropped the ball in my last year of high school and did really badly, just flunked out, awful. If I could go back and slap myself across the face, my younger self across the face, and give myself a good talking to, I would. So, Do you remember that, why that was? Was this something? I, I've no idea, I've no idea, but I just, you know, I can't blame anybody else, but I, I would say, I wish my dad had slapped me in the face or something I just drifted. I just drifted off. I don't know why. It just happened. It wasn't sport, girls, music, uh, ganja. <laughs> no, no. I don't know what it was, but I didn't get enough grades to get into university. So that option was cut off. Having said that, I could have stayed. I could have gone back to Polytechnic and done, done it again and got a better grade and got into uni. But I just wanted to get out and work. And, and I think back then there still was that overriding um, feeling amongst my generation that if you weren't at university, there was a really strong feeling, I gotta go out and work and make money. Like no sponging off the parents. It's like, I gotta get a job, which, which um, I started applying feverishly for. You know, things were the same back then as they are now in that a lot of people apply for a small number of jobs and you have to just cast a wide net with job applications, which back then were all done on a typewriter, of course. And, um, and send them out letters by post. And send and send them all out by post. And I only got one reply, and that was from News Limited, Rupert Murdoch's newspapers. Uh, and the woman there said, got your application, uh, thank you, but your school grades aren't really good enough to, to get in here. But 
I just started badgering her for, for a few weeks to be able to come in and do the exam. And she finally gave in and said, okay, you can come and do the exam. So on my intake, there was about 2,000 people applying for about 10 jobs. That's what we were told later. Wow. And we had to go in there for an exam, which was general knowledge, current events, that sort of thing. And that was, I just, that was my, that I was so at home with that. So I got in there and did that exam and I aced it. It was, so I got, I got, uh, I, I got on the next short list because do, I did. Do well you remember revising for that or was that just from years? No, that was just from, that was just from years of in reading the encyclopedia as a kid and reading my father's newspaper when he came home with it uh, and just building up a lot of general knowledge. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I aced that, but I was still on a short list. And then I badgered the guy who ran the uh, little office where all the, uh, all the sort of office assistants worked, which was the job we were going for. I called him nonstop for about a month, just nonstop. And he just got so sick of me calling that he, he said, oh, for God's sake, come in, um, so you can start tomorrow. So, so that was a year of being an office assistant uh, before you got a cadetship that they so used to just, call it. Just to be clear, so how long before, by the time this guy gave in and said, come in, roughly how long was that from when you'd actually finished school? Oh, probably, I would have finished school at the beginning of December. I think I can't remember. So I was I was out of school and kind of uh, you know not in full employment for about four months. That was fairly quick. So you had your European trip. You had your working yeah. town with town planning, and then yep, and then went yep. through all this and then, and then a couple of months of like exams and, and pestering these people. Yeah. So so this was office assistant job, which sounds like an internship, but actually you you work your ass off and you you get paid. So I was getting a salary, which was great. Mm. You know, I was able to save and buy a car and start driving to work and and. That sort of thing, but it was it was good as uh, but living, living at home. Yes, I was yeah. living at home then. Yeah. Yes, yeah. and back then that sort of internship, which was paid, was so much better than what they are now because it was deliberate, organised training of all the all the interns. So you got to know the entire building, how everything worked, who everyone was, and you did different. So uh, one of my jobs was uh, running downstairs four times a day and getting the Daily Mirror straight off the printing press, putting it on a trolley, running it upstairs, taking a bundle under my arm and running around the building and delivering it to all these key people. Right. Um, and that would take three or four runs to empty that. And you do, and I was so fit, I've never been as fit in my entire life. I used to get covered in, in newspaper ink all down my shirt and pants. My mother used to go crazy for having to yeah. wash everything every day. Because uh, newspapers so in those days, they re- the ink they use really, I remember. Oh, yeah, yeah, really, and the your, smell. I still remember the smell black. Of, of the ink. I still remember it. Yeah. But that was great, getting getting to know the building and I, I, you drop paper to the accounts department. The scariest one was going into the editor's office and putting a paper on his desk and then just getting out of there as quickly as possible. And I remember going in there and putting a paper on his desk once and he was talking to somebody and he said... Um, and I put it on his desk and I went to get out the door and he said, you stop. And I thought, oh God. <laughs> and he looked at the paper and the front and the back and he realized that the, the, that they had put the same massive photograph on the front page as the back page. It was the rugby league grand final. I think it was the same photograph. And he said, stay there. And he, and he picked up the phone to the guy running the print press downstairs, who was the brother of Rupert's right-hand man. And he picked up the phone and he just said, he just screamed out, John, what are you trying to do to me? 
what are you trying to do to me? <laughs> Screaming out. And he said, look at the paper. Bam. Slammed down the phone. And then he said, okay, you can go. Oh, God. <laughs> so it was that sort of thing all the time. The place was full of characters. Yeah. You, you got screamed at. You got yelled at. That was back in the days when you often, I'm not saying it's a good thing, but you often learnt by just getting screamed at. Yeah. Uh, and of course, you know, people aren't allowed to do that now. So uh, I worked there. I worked in the art department. But you felt where... like you were in a safe place, did you? <laughs> Mate, there was no safe places in that building. Yeah. No happy Sorry. places either. Um, uh, so I also worked in the art department where all the photographs that went in the paper that were, needed to be touched up, it, was never, it wasn't done digitally, obviously, back then. It was all done with paintbrushes and airbrushes and, and you know, having arrows and names stuck with glue think, on the yeah. photograph. Uh, and so then I got a cadetship. I, I don't want to dwell too much on that. So I, I, I got a, a cadetship, which involved a series of interviews and writing stories. Hang on, this was surely your first year as copy boy. Yeah. Wasn't that the intention was that if you got through that, you would become a cadet? Yes, exactly. So it, was, it, so, was a, it was a bit of a precursor for the. Yes, yes, that's the thing. So there was no guarantee that you'd get an, a cadetship or an apprenticeship that they yeah. call it now. No, yeah. no guarantee at all. And some people didn't make it. Right. Uh, so during that year, you had to kind of prove yourself and show you're enthusiastic and, and write, uh, try and find your own stories and try and get them published in the paper, which, wow. which I did. And then you got selected for interviews and you get interviewed by all the editors, which was pretty terrifying. Uh, and then you got a cadetship and that was three years of training. And they would, again, it was highly organized training. Uh, and back then they rarely took any university graduates because mm -hmm. They felt that that sort of work, you just didn't need a uni degree. And actually, I still believe that to this day. But now, of course, everyone's at uni, so you have to have a degree. But back then, they would train, they would train you up by, by uh, allocating time where you worked on all of the four newspapers in the building and all of the different rounds on the newspaper. So I did uh, police reporting, entertainment, finance, yeah. uh, general news, education, sport, uh, we did everything. So, so that, you'd be moved around to a Yeah, difference. you'd constantly be moved around. So by the time you finished, you had to have done um, basically everything in the building. Right. Uh, and each and, time you got moved, presumably they say, okay, Andrew, here's, you're working with Bob here, who would be someone who would be mentoring you to some extent or guiding you or someone you could actually say, yeah. is, is this okay or not okay? Oh, of course. No, yeah. I, no, yeah. no. That's, that's all part of it. It's just incredible. Anyway. And you also have to do shorthand. So uh, you had to, to get your cadetship, you had to uh, be able to write 120 words a minute in Pittman's New Era shorthand. So would you, would they, would you be studying then in the, in the... Oh yeah, so they had separate allocated time right. for the cadets every single day in the shorthand room with the shorthand teacher. Oh wow. Um, and you'd, you would do, constantly do tests and, and write. In fact, to this day, uh, my wife's shorthand was much better than mine. But to this day, there's a lot of words that when I hear it, I see it written in shorthand. At the age of 55, it's imprinted on my brain that much. Wow. But it's such a, it's such a wonderful skill. And I don't, I don't even know if anybody does it now. No, I don't think so. But the, the, I remember one of our shorthand teachers was this lovely woman who uh, could write 250 words a minute and it looked like a textbook. Wow. It was just amazing. Wow. So, so that was part of it as well. But just getting out, it was a good way to get out in the world. I mean, you know, you saw dead bodies, you saw hor horrendous car crashes, you got involved in politics, you interviewed um, 
you know, top politicians and yeah. media stars and sports stars and that sort of thing. So it was really, you really felt that you were you uh, almost privileged in the people that you met. Were you, you remember being, you know, were you excited? You, every, you were living at home, so you're getting up in the morning. Yeah. And yeah. mum making breakfast <clears throat> for you and you were heading off to work and you're like, yeah, this is, you, I mean, was this like, oh, I made the right choice, do you think? Uh, yeah, it was exciting. And because it wasn't university, and no one else there went to university either. It was like it was like university, where all the young people that we worked with all had the same drive and dream of, right. of getting into journalism, and we're all very young and together. So it was it we so we actually got that university experience right. and formed very close bond with a you know a, a good big group of, of friends that that we're still friends with today. And this is where you met Susan. Yes, that's where time. I met. That's yeah. where I met my wife as well. Yeah. Yeah. So. Right. Yeah. So this is, so I'm just saying, so, so 18, first year uh, as copy boy, and then three years of, of the cadetship. So that takes you to the end of, so the end of that would take you to 22. Yeah, so I, so I was nearly, I was nearly 19 when I uh, got the job as a, was I guess I was about six months off 19 yeah. when I got the job as a, a copy boy uh, and then the cadetship. So I should have done three years. Right. But I'd always wanted to get into television. So the whole time I was there, I was thinking ahead, which is, I think, actually good advice for any young person right. working that if you do if you do have something like a dream or a job or a profession that you want to get into, you actually start thinking about that and planning it as soon as you get into one job. So as soon as I got, got into the newspaper, I started applying for television jobs. And right. it, took, it took two and a half years, but I finally got one. So oh, wow. I, I started doing it straight away. So I actually left early. Right. I left the newspaper before I finished my cadetship, but I did that because I got the the professional level and salary equivalent that I equivalent that I would have had to wait another six months or a year for. I got that straight away oh, I see. by going to television because back then the industry was it was graded. It was heavily unionized right. and everything. So all salary levels were graded. Right. So I I got the, the the first step on the ladder for a young person. I got that. Uh, six months or a year before any of my peers because I moved into television. Right. And then I stayed ahead of them for quite a while. Well, I, I went to, so I, I'd been working in Sydney and then I did a, a four-month stint in a steel and coal town called Newcastle, just north of Sydney, mm. which was great fun, working in a kind of a country town stroke, small city. And you moved there? Yeah, I moved there. Yeah. lived there on my own, met some new people up there. Uh, and that's where I got a call from a TV station in Wollongong, which is south of Sydney, which is another steel and coal town, um, to come down for an interview, which I did, and I got the job. So I packed up, resi quit, resigned from work. And from Newcastle. So you know, how yeah. long were you at Newcastle before you moved on again? I, I was in Newcastle for four months and uh, <clears throat> packed up all my stuff in my car and drove all the way down to Wollongong. Uh, that's where I got my first, uh, what they call a grading uh, salary level. And right. I was in Wollongong for a year. And that was great fun as well. Both of those towns are great beach towns, really easy places to live. Was, was there any issue, so just to be clear, because you're within within uh, less than a 12-month period, you've moved from News Limited or News Corp to Newcastle to a t TV company. And then four months later, you get down in Wollongong with another company. Yeah. So you've, so within three months, you've left the cadetship. <clears throat> Sorry, yes. Yeah, not three months. Within a short period of time, you've left the cadetship and you've gone to one job. Then you've left them and now onto something else. Was it yeah, well, actually, it was the Newcastle <clears throat> job was the same company, but it was just a different office. Right. 
So it was still within the same company. But okay. then the Wollongong job, that was a different company. That was a TV company. Okay. So I was there for a, a year and that's where I learned my craft in, in TV. And again, I've sometimes looked back and thought it would have been better if I'd stayed longer, stayed a few years longer uh, to, to really kind of hone my craft because I felt when I left there, I didn't really have a full grasp on things. But you've got that choice when you're young, you know, do you have the luxury of time to stay somewhere for a long time until you feel that you've perfected what you need to know what and then you, move what on? What were you doing in Wollongong? I was doing general news reporting. So, yeah, so I was front I was, of camera. Yes. So I was, I was uh, <clears throat> yeah, in the field uh, <clears throat> reporting on anything that would happen in Wollongong. Um, police, actually education, because there's a big university down there, general news, politics, anything. Right. So, and, and you would always do what's called a piece to camera. So I'd write, I'd write a story and voice it. And you'd always do a little thing where you stand in front of the camera and, you know, speak for about 10 or 20 seconds and you plop that inside the story. So so in, in that regard, you were always on camera. But I also did some uh, new studio presenting when the other guy was off sick or whatever. Uh, I, and this would go, Was this would this just be used on local TV stations or would it also go, could be syndicated uh, out to national? When I was there, the, some uh, very often the footage that we would get would um, get sent up to Sydney, but probably very unlikely that they would just take one of our package stories and use our, they call it a stand-up, right. speaking to camera. I can't really remember, to be honest, but a lot of stuff we would send up. It was just fun learning about television. But again, I started applying for jobs <coughs> up in Sydney, uh, but I actually ended up getting TV offers, uh, not through applications, but just through word of mouth, and because at this point, you, you are front of camera. Exactly. So, so once you're on camera, yeah. on TV, people at other stations who need someone, they, they, just, they just look. Yeah. They just look at the TV and they think, yeah, that, you know, okay. they, they sound okay, yeah. it looks okay, whatever. Um, so let's, let's call them and they quickly, you know, they somehow find right. a, a number for you. Right. So, so how long so were you in Wollongong then? I was in Wollongong for a year. And then... Uh, and where was Sue at this point? Sue was in Sydney. And I was so desperate to get back to Sue and be able to see her all the time that I was willing to take any job. So the first job that came up was a sports job. And I, I just, I took it also because it was fantastic money. And I jumped right. up another couple of grades. Right. Um, uh, yeah. So I, I kept, you know, jumping up in the pay ranks, and how, was fantastic. So, so how, just talk, talk me through that. How did you, because this is kind of interesting from a career point of view. So... The Sydney guys, the sports, this is another company. So they presumably seen you in doing something in Wollongong or hear about you. So do they, do they give you, they find you, they give you a call at work one day and say, hey, Mr. Sam, we like what you're doing. Uh, yeah, I can't remember how they contacted me, um, but it would have been. It would have been something like that. I don't know. Or maybe they knew someone who knew me and got my home number or something. Because, yeah. of course, nobody had mobiles back then. Yeah. So, yeah, it would have been that. And I, I went up for an interview, same, and then. Got the job. So you'd have done, so Wollongong, you've got a day off work. You'd be like, I'm just going to drive up to Sydney for the day, arrange to do an interview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And of course, with television, because they can see you, you don't have to write a, you know, a clever application letter or even yeah. the interview is not important because they don't care because they've seen you and it's like, yeah. okay, yeah, I can see you. I, can, I know what you can do. Do you want yeah. the job or not? That's yeah. pretty much how it works. Yeah. So... So I was there for a year. And um, then so would, so just to go through, so would you then, so let's say 
they'd offer you the job there on the interview, would you then go back to Wollongong and work your month's notice and tell them? When, would people be angry or was it, was it fairly common oh, that people I think knew? I, no, every, everyone knew that that's, that's how it works, but they were disappointed. I remember I told them and they said, oh, well, that's, that's such a shame. We were hoping you'd be here long term. And yeah. I felt really bad because I was good friends with one of the guys. Um, uh, and, and in a lot of ways, it would have been great if I'd stayed because I would have learned more. I would have perfected my craft a bit more. But, you know, again, with any person in any career, I guess, you've got that choice. It's like, okay, yeah. do I stay longer yeah. and, and, you know, perfect the craft more or do I make the most of my youth and move on to you know to climb up that ladder and really you know you kind of do have to climb up the ladder well when you had two you had two i mean better money and oh, better yeah. position and you had sue back in sydney yeah exactly and family back in sydney yeah so. that, that too and also it was just sydney i yeah. kind of i didn't want to be in wollongong forever yeah i mean yeah. who does <laughs> so so i i yeah so i was up in sydney doing sports reporting for uh, a year do you remember how old you were at this point when you moved i would have been to... that was 80 i was in wollongong uh, uh i was in 22 23. right uh but during that year at sbs uh the the asian broadcasting union which is uh, a broadcast body that supplies english commentary all over the world uh they needed a commentator for the seoul olympics in 1988 and they, uh, the guy there called my boss, who he knew, basically said, yeah, we've got a guy here, he's really good, we'll, we'll send him up. So I went up to the Seoul Olympics for a month, and uh, that, was, that was my first commentary job. Uh, so it was kind of a, a steep learning curve. Wow. But it was an amazing experience, obviously. In front of camera, do it covering no, the... not on camera. It oh, was just okay. in a booth doing commentary, not, okay. not on camera. Okay, but fine. It's your, yeah, it's your, it was... your reporting on <clears throat> yeah, and this this commentary package went all over the world. Would that be live, or would they have edited it? Uh, it would have no. It would. It, it was edited. It was a one hour package. Okay, but it was sent out live, so we would commentate it at about eleven p.m. Okay, and as we were commentating it, it was going out live. This is amazing. So twenty two, twenty three. You now your voice is commentating on the Olympics. Yeah. around the world. You're four plus years out of school out of high school. Yeah, pretty much. And yeah. you've got pe presumably people who were at high school with you who are just at this point graduating out of university, or not even graduating. Not even. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, or do some of them did five year degrees or took a gap year beforehand. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we I'd already been working. Yeah, I'd been uh, been working for uh, for four years. Anyway, I, I think what you, you, you often try and allude to is, you know, how does all this work and how does it connect and, mm. you know, are things done through recommendations? I think for all of us, a, a lot of it is, some of it is luck, although there's that old saying that it's, it's funny how the harder you work, the, the luckier you get. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so, I, so I worked there, there for a year and soon after I finished, uh, I came back after the Seoul Olympics my friend who hired me at the TV station in Wollongong had moved to the ABC in Sydney, which is like the BBC, yeah. but much smaller, obviously. And he called me and said, hey, we need someone over here. So wow. then I went over to the ABC from SBS and I was there for two years. Uh, and that was, uh, that was sports reporting and also presenting the sports on the primetime news bulletin nationwide on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday nights. Wow. Yeah, and I did that for two years, and I was still very young. 
and very nervous. So they'll be like, <clears throat> so Andrew, over to you. We've got at the MCC today. And, yeah. yeah, and and actually, often on the weekend, it would be ten minutes of news and then 15, 15 minutes of sport. I'd come on at ten past seven. Often there was so much stuff, and I was doing it all on my own. And I remember it was always a panic. I remember many nights grabbing my papers and literally running downstairs and being almost out of breath by the time I went on air. And I remember one time I was so badly out of breath, the woman newsreader had to read my first story because I couldn't breathe. I was sitting at the desk looking at her, waving my hand in front of my face and, and breathing and sweating. And she looked at me and, and I, I was also looking at the producer through the camera saying, I can't do this. I was just, I couldn't, I literally couldn't talk. So she read the first news story and then, um, then I was okay for the next one. So that was crazy. It was good training, but it was just insane. Do, and, doing yeah. And this whole time, I mean, this is great. So you're, you're now with the ABC, and this whole time you and Susan are boyfriend girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. You're both living at home, respectively. <clears throat> we were living. Uh, I spent some time living out. Actually, the two years I was at the ABC, I lived in a, a shared house uh, in Sydney. In Sydney, at a place called Mossman for a year, which was good fun. Uh, and that obviously Sue would come over and stay often. So that was, you know, that right. was pretty easy. And then actually we, for the second year, we moved in together um, close to my work in a place called Greenwich in, in Sydney. Um, so 1990, Sue and I moved in together. That was my second year at the ABC. And that was uh, just the, the same, the usual. But it was difficult though. So you're 25? No, not even that. I was still 24, I think. And you moved in together, age twenty. Yeah, yeah. I oh, actually Sue was twenty three. I think. Right. Uh, yeah, but so it, it, this was a really good job and a really good opportunity, but for me, my interests weren't in sport. I only ever took a sport job just to get back to Sydney. Right. So that would have been a great career path for me. I could have stayed there, literally forever, and right. done that job. But with that job, because it was sport. I had to work every single weekend and I'll tell you, it's just socially, it's a killer yeah. personally. And if you're in a relationship, so we, I was getting toward the end of that two years and I just thought we're going to break up if, if I keep doing this job. Personally, I don't really like it. I was doing nothing but rugby league all winter and it's a game that I hate. <laughs> and I was doing nothing but cricket all summer, which I love cricket, but it's, it was just getting tedious. So I planned to resign anyway. I thought I'm going to quit. I don't know what I'm going to do but I'm going to quit at the end of this contract. It was a two-year contract. Right. Uh, but during that time, toward the end, after I'd already decided I was going to leave, out of the blue, I got a call at the office from the, from the Australian guy who took me up to Seoul, right. to the Seoul Olympics. Who, who, he was the one working for the Asian Broadcasting Union. So again, this web of people that you know. Yeah. Uh, so he was much older, about 20 years older than me. And he called me and said, uh, oh, would you consider you know, moving to Hong Kong? And working up here. Because he was up here? Because he, he, he had moved from Malaysia to TVB in Hong Kong. Right. And they needed somebody up here. So he said, would you consider moving up to Hong Kong? And I just thought, yeah, right, Hong Kong, you know, forget it. And I said, oh, yeah. So we had a catch up on the phone. He said, look, I'll, I'll give you a call again in, in, in six weeks or something and see how you feel. I said, yeah, all right, see ya. I thought, you've got to be kidding. And then as I was nearing the end of my contract and I didn't have another job lined up, I started to get a little bit worried. And I thought, oh, crikey. And he called me again. And said, look, why don't you come up? We'll fly you up, put you in a nice hotel, take you around town for a week, show you what Hong Kong's like, and and then see how you feel. So I, even then I thought, oh, you've got to be joking. But I thought, well, you know, it's they're going to fly me up. It's a free trip. They're putting me in a hotel, so why not? Yeah. So I did that, 
and you know it was it literally was whining and dining you know they, they were just super nice to me out to dinner every night you know little tours of hong kong and by the end of the week i just found myself signing a contract it was like a blur and i thought well may as well and then i went back home and said to sue i'm moving to hong kong so i was planning on coming up here just for a year on my own then going back to sydney um as everybody does yeah and then uh sue was was out of work as well and and she i remember i still remember her calling me i never forget i remember her calling me very clearly and saying i'm coming to hong kong with you wow. and i said no you're not no i was only joking no uh, and i said well that's great so we came up here to together so we had age uh aged so that was we flew up here in february 91 so i was 25 and she was 24. Uh, just so, so, so sorry, just interrupt. It's so interesting to hear how much you had done, and you're still very young. Yeah, and you're coming, you're coming to Hong Kong. Yeah. Age <clears throat> I'm thinking of our kids. I mean, who? I mean, all the baby group kids are, have have lived life to the full. I mean, none of them are short of traveling around the world and and having life experiences. Really, for young people, compared to you know, compared to some of the contemporaries back in Australia or England, but actually you guys, particularly at that time, you had done a lot. Yeah, well, and you know. A lot of work, a lot <clears> of tour, <throat> you were, you know, you were. No, absolutely, we'd had a lot of, by that time, we both had a lot of life experience yeah. and and like r real career highs. I mean, even at that age. Yeah. By, by, to some extent, is the nature of the work that you were in, isn't it, when I'm thinking about it. So if, if I was, if you had an equivalent friend or your, you know, someone who had studied accounting and, and or architecture and had been working as long as you had the chances of them having the same peaks and the same experiences would have been much oh, less much even, less i mean certainly in accounting but even in architecture you know unless i think in my own career if only if you were very lucky might you work on an interesting project but that would take three years you have you have stuff it was, it was short, a story it is was. live, and so it happens, and there's a peak within days or weeks or something, and, and then you're on to the next one. Yeah, and, 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 and it's, a total, it's a total high as well. You yeah. go from one, not a career high, but you go from one professional high to the next each day. Uh, yeah, it's it, Yeah. I mean, was that something, do you think, that you were, you'd consciously made a decision to go into that field? Was that something you, you, did, you found it, you yeah, found I, it satisfying? Yeah, I, I, I think because of my uh, just natural hunger for knowledge uh, and, and, you know, stuff that often just becomes trivia, not, not necessarily useful. Right, but it interests you. Yeah, I did love, like I said, I, I loved reading the encyclopedia. I loved reading the newspapers. I got very interested in the media and what was going on in the world and how the world worked. And I think that's why I wanted to get into to, to journalism. Yeah. And I've also sometimes wondered if being the seventh of eight children and getting no attention and nobody taking any notice of you. I often wondered if my burning desire to get into journalism and be on TV was subconsciously to make up for being neglected and ignored right. and, and not having your voice heard in a house with 10 people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've, all, I've, I've often thought that that was maybe it because yeah. I remember it's like when you're the seventh of eight kids, honestly, nobody cares what you think. Nobody wants to listen to you. So, you know. I think you have to save that for the psychoanalysis <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. podcast. <laughs> yeah.
Um, um, all right, so let's back. So you arrive, the two of you arrive in Hong Kong, and you've got a job. Sue hasn't. Yes. Um, so we arrived in Hong Kong. Yeah. So so I I had a job, which another reason why I took the job was not this because, is with TVB. Yeah, with TVB. Yeah. So another reason I took the job, not not absolutely not because it was my only choice, but because it really did at the time for me it played it paid so incredibly well. Right. It really did. Right. So it was a no brainer. I thought don't really want to go to Hong Kong, but I would be an idiot to say no to this. Yeah. So I took it. So it was great. So we came up here, really secure, nice accommodation, all of that. So Sue could relax and take her time looking for a, a job that, that was suited to her. You had the financial security. Yes, absolutely. Job, the job yep. was good. Yep. So she could take her time. How was TVB? Did they help you find accommodation? So when I arrived, they put us up in the Excelsior Hotel, mm. uh, which has now been demolished, sadly. And I've, I've since found out a lot of people I know up here were also put up in the Excelsior. Right. Um, right. So we had a couple of weeks there and going around with real estate people, showing us all sorts of places all over Hong Kong. And in the end, we actually ourselves found a great little flat in Causeway Bay, literally around the corner from the hotel. And I ended up paying the bellboy a hundred bucks Hong Kong to put all our bags on a trolley and walk it around and bring it up to the flat for us. And he had the little red hat on and the little red bolero jacket yeah, and, and everything. So that's where we spent the first two years, which was a good introduction to Hong Kong. So you had, you were expecting to stay for a year. Did, did the yeah, contract well, get Well, actually the contract was two years, right. um, but I, it was like a lease. I, I could have got out of it right. um, after a year. Right. Uh, and I was really determined because for all of us, the first year here is it's pretty tough. It's a real culture shock yeah. you know, away from home. And it's really it rattles a lot of people. But then, yeah, because you're yeah. not you're not ringing mum and dad every day because no, there's, there's only no, the telephone. Uh, yes. And maybe that was part of it back then. We didn't have FaceTime or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. And and you you you'd you'd rarely make a phone call because it was so expensive. Yeah. So yes, for all of us that year, that first year was tough. But then, kind of got into the groove and started meeting people. And Sue was loving her job. And you know, I started to relax more with my job. And also opportunities came up with my job that would like that people I've worked with at home would never get a chance to do. And that's why I started thinking, oh, Such actually, this is great. Well, 90, not 91, but certainly the second year was for Barcelona Olympics in 1992. So we did two trips over there with, uh, not we, I, with, with TVB and the crew. We went right. over there and did features and filmed stuff for feature stories right. and that sort of thing. So that was great. And then I got a taste of what the job would be like. And I thought, wow, this is great. Yeah. So... And then, you know, later that year, I hosted the Olympics and uh, did the commentary with a team of people, something that guys my age working in, even at the top commercial stations in Sydney who were getting paid more than me at the time, those guys wouldn't have even had that opportunity. Right. So... 92, um, so you were 26, 27? Uh, 92, I was coming up to 27. Yeah. yeah. And Satisfied. by actually by accident, so the stuff that had made you a bit fed up of sports at ABC working the weekends, et cetera, it didn't happen here. That's a very good point. But you didn't, of course, you didn't know that. So it didn't, perhaps, that wasn't part yeah. of your career move. It just, it was by accident. You got here and you were doing the sport, but it actually, it, it wasn't interrupting with your social life no, and your personal life that, as that, much. That's the thing. It's funny how things, it's funny, like, sometimes you do feel somebody or something is guiding you through your life and your career. You know, I hate to get heavy and, you know, <laughs> spiritual. But I, I really, really firmly believe that. I've always believed that with my career. It's like, you know, so much stuff has happened. I just think, really? Coincidence? Hmm? Yeah. So 
Anyway, that's just me personally. Someone's got the big ledger. Yeah, there's like a, a hand guiding you. I've I've always believed that. And and exactly, it's like I was in Sydney and I thought, oh geez, I can't do this anymore. So somebody said, okay, well, why don't you try this? It's same same but different. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. so they came out to Hong Kong and it was that job. Yeah. But much better without, so, without the bad. So bits. it was that job, but with a huge variety of different things yeah. and subjects that I could cover. Fantastic travel, yeah. an exotic town to live in. Um, occasionally, I'd work weekends. Yes. Um, a, 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 you know, sometimes more than occasionally. Yeah. But it was it was swings and roundabouts. Yeah. I'd always had there'd be other weekends off, so it was all it was very manageable. Yeah. Um, and and enjoyable. So. So basically, you. So you had a two-year contract, which would have taken you to age, what, uh, so what do we say? I've lost track of, anyway, so, whatever you were. So when the yeah, two so years came up, did it? after that, automatic, just, just roll on. more two-year contracts. And so someone in HR of TVB would have said, so Andrew, we're very happy with you. Can we offer you another contract? And you'd be like, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was almost automatic. And then, but then I think after about 10 years, no, after about eight years, I think they ended up basically putting me on full-time staff. Right, but this is. Post- I mean, I was full time staff, but instead of being contract, it was just permanent employment. Right, but this is after you were thirty. You were, I mean, those. First- yeah, it was after thirty. Yeah. So that, that that came later. So basically, those those from from arriving in Hong Kong through to age thirty, you were at TVB on various contracts doing some of the stuff. Yeah, in fact, I, I make, need to make sure I don't get ahead of myself because I realised I turned thirty in ninety five. Right. Yeah. What and about my- getting What about getting married? Sorry, just. Oh yeah, getting married. So, so basically that here in Hong Kong. Uh, no, no. So uh, when we were living together in Sydney, I didn't realize at the time, but Sue's friends later revealed that she was having heart to hearts with them saying, when the hell is he going to ask me to marry him? I, you know, this is ridiculous. <laughs> and she, she was getting really, really pissed off. And actually, I was planning it. I was just really, I was just a bit slow. Um, <laughs> so we were together for six years before I asked her to marry me. Uh, so we got engaged. So we had a big engagement party and got engaged after we knew we were coming to Hong Kong. Right. Um, I guess when I had that clarity of knowing what we were doing. So that that Hong Kong was a bit of a catalyst for that as well. Yeah, so exactly it was. It was actually. So I proposed to Sue. uh, We got engaged. And then we came back to Hong Kong after a year and had a very, very stressful month in Sydney where we bought a house and got married um, in the same month. So it was like... uh, uh, a lot happened, but it was yeah, that was great. So yes, so we went back to Sydney. What year was we got that? married? We got married in February '92. Age, aged twenty. I was twenty six, and she was twenty five. Right. Okay. Yeah. So to our kids' generation, that probably seems like wow, that's so young. But again, it's because we'd been working for seven years already. Yeah. So we'd had a lot of life experience and working. So it, we didn't seem like we didn't feel like we were kids. Yeah, yeah. You know, whereas maybe if we'd gone to university and started work much later, maybe we wouldn't have got married till we were thirty. It's right. just where you are in 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 your life. Um, so, so age twenty five. So after how long after getting married do you start thinking about children? Now you're living uh, the, the bit of the expat life here in Hong Kong. Yeah, well, it's funny how that happens, uh, or why at a certain age. I don't know. We just we did just start thinking about it, but it seemed like a natural thing. I don't know about everybody else but having kids by 30 to us was just a, a normal thing there was no question that we would not have kids or have kids yeah. or whatever so yeah. we yeah we just uh so when was that uh we had sienna in 
95 and I was still 29. Right. And then we had Riley in 97 and I was still... Tw- uh, 30, 31. 31, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Just to finish off, when Sienna arrived in 1995, or in fact even before, this is the point that you guys actually meet the baby group. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, which, you know, again, was, was a, you know, I mean, it's an understatement to say that it was a key turning point and key part of our lives, but it really was. But you didn't know any of the people before? Uh, I actually knew Stephanie through work because okay. I'd been going over to do the Macau Grand Prix. Uh, Stephanie used to work over there. So I met Stephanie, I think, in 1991. Mm-hmm. And I think Susan may have also met Stephanie through work. Right. And then, so we kind of knew about her. Uh, and then, of course, we met her again in 95. Uh, yeah, so in the year that I turned 30, we suddenly met this amazing new group of friends. Um, yeah, so, so life, his life went on oh, to, like, on yeah, to the next so the stage. Year, yes, the year I turned 30, my, our lives changed dramatically. And, and we, we, you know, became intermeshed with this amazing group of people that became our best friends. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Andrew. Okay, Nick. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>